episode 292 of Global From Asia today. We're talking about building a brand and Amazon business from inside the Chinese firewall. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you all for choosing to download and listen to our little podcast here. Getting closer to number 300. And this has been one I've been waiting for. Cameron Walker, he's a longtime listener and supporter in the community, in many communities here in uh, China and the Amazon space. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure to get him on. We are talking about his journey to build an Amazon brand inside of China, where he has some unique perspectives and he really shares quite a bit of insights. It's really, really great. It's also really thank you, Cameron, for sharing on, on this community uh, podcast as well as over the years and in, in, um, blog posts and coming to our cross-border summits and other other events we do and other, other initiatives and members calls in the GFA VIP membership and everything. So it's a real pleasure to get him on the show and he shares some really amazing insights, just some technical difficulties we're like struggling with the internet between my bad internet in manila and his internet in china and uh maybe there's just so many users on zoom they said zoom stock was shooting up with the coronavirus and more people working online and needing these online collaboration tools but basically it's an it's a fascinating conversation i i think you'll get some great insights for you know building your business you know finding products the ups and the downs uh, some strategies for being closer to your factory and different ways of uh, of sourcing. So, without further ado, let's let's take it away, Cameron. Do you enjoy the show and you want to get involved with even more amazing benefits and features and people here? GFA VIP Global from Asia VIP is an amazing members program. We've been doing more and more calls lately because these events have been getting canceled due to coronaviruses and travel bans and border issues so we are online more than ever i got a whole library of online courses we have these live workshops and masterminds of course the community and we have community management actually a new girl on the team princess is helping out now so if you want to talk to princess she'll take care of you that's a pretty cool one gfavip.com it would be great to see you on the other side thank you everybody for to another global from asia podcast the show is is developing, and uh, I'm fi- finally got Cameron on the show. We've we've uh, known each other for quite a while. I mean, um, in the community and the, the various events, we've uh, we've both progressed so much over the years. Um, and uh, Cameron's a full time seller now, and you've also done amazing work with Global Sources and the trade shows, and and um, we've seen each other. I feel like my first impression, our first time I remember we talked was the border crossing blog post, I think, if, if that's the right, is that the right, is that where we connected or first started chatting or am I wrong? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I wrote a post on your blog. So it's been, I'm awesome. First of all, it's awesome to finally be on the show. I think we've known each other for, you know, five years or so. And I think you're right. I think it was the, uh, the blog post on crossing the border because me and you were both kind of soldiers that crossed the border yeah, <laughs> um, you know, every very often a couple times a week and I think we're both also one of those kind of people that likes to incrementally test 
Yeah. So uh, we, we would both have little secrets to save ourselves 30 seconds here or 30 seconds there. Yeah, exactly. Those added up. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, uh, it's definitely, I don't know how many times. Foursquare is deactivated now. I don't know if you had used Foursquare, but I remember I was like no. the king. The, it was like a check-in uh, app on your, like a social app. I was the king or I forgot. No, I think it's, man, I'm even blanking on what. They give you trophies or awards if you were the most frequent visitor of certain places. It was like a location-based right. app. I was often the king of, I'm saying the wrong word, but basically the, the number one uh, visitor of the Huang Gong border for a while and Shenzhen Bay border <laughs> back in. Cool. And well, yeah, maybe that's because I wasn't using Foursquare. So. Yeah, maybe you would have beaten me if you had used that app. But my, by yeah. the way, my newest, my newest tip for everybody is take the train. I haven't been to Huang Gong in a long time. I completely avoid it now and just take the, take the high speed rail. Okay. Great. <laughs> we got to update the blog, man. <laughs> but, uh, that's awesome. So, so today there's so many things we can talk about, but I think just, you know, I think people, listeners, I know you're, you're also a regular listener. Thanks for, for always tuning in and giving feedback. Um, you know, I think we talk about your journey, the private label brand, you know, becoming, you know, be developing as you've developed. And maybe before we get into it, a little bit of background about you. Actually, we we're connecting on, on Skype. You spent time in Xi'an, right? First, or maybe your journey into China a little bit. And, and I did. I did. Yeah, I spent six years in Xi'an. That's kind of the middle of the story. So let me give you. Yeah, you let's know, go back. Let's two. go back to the let's go back to the beginning minute or two at the beginning. So uh, first of all, I'm Canadian from um, Toronto area. Um, I graduated university in 2002 um, with a business, you know, an undergrad business degree. And I, uh, I moved to Hong Kong two months later. So it was kind of right out, um, right immediately after graduation, I got an internship at an investment management company in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, it wasn't really anything special. It was kind of a, a little bit of a marketing position. Uh, it was through believe it or not, the Canadian government, um, a subsidy program. So this company didn't have to pay me a salary. All they had to do was um, put me up in a house in an apartment in Hong Kong for six months and I would work, uh, work for them for free. Um, so thanks to the Canadian government, I ended up uh, over in Hong Kong. And that was kind of the start of um, what's been, I guess, 17 years. So that wasn't the original plan, but um, it kind of developed that way. So Hong Kong, Kong for six months. Um, I traveled around Asia for three or four months, uh, you know, backpacking after that. And then I ended up, well, I guess something to put in there that we can maybe touch on later is that was right during SARS as well. Okay. So yeah. I, was right, I was right kind of right in the middle of uh, SARS in 2003 in Hong Kong and also mainland China. And yeah. after that, I moved to Beijing and started learning Chinese. That lasted about a year and a half, and then I joined Global Sources, um, which I guess some of your audience or the majority of your audience probably knows uh, best. It's best known now for being a trade show organizer. Yeah. Um, but back then, they, they, I mean, it's a B2B media company. So they had magazines, they have an online catalog, um, and they also have trade shows. So I worked for them for 14 years, believe it or not. <laughs> wow, time is flying. Yeah, started in Beijing, worked for them for a year and a half. Um, basically, frontline sales. So that meant 
um, visiting suppliers and selling um, selling trade show booths and selling um, you know online subscriptions in Chinese. So it was really on the front line uh, speaking to suppliers kind of thrown into the fire or thrown into the deep end, sink or swim on Chinese, which uh, was was interesting slash embarrassing, very frequently embarrassing. Uh, oh, but it's that led that's to the best um, yeah yeah absolutely it's if if you can kind of if you have thick skin and you can be kind of uh embarrassed quite frequently but still kind of learn from that um it it is the best way to learn okay yeah i remember i remember peter peter zaff mentioning you i think uh he was talking about the shia in office and uh, i remember um that was a long that's a long time ago but yeah 14 that, yeah we're that's why it's great to get you on the show i mean there's so much um so much we can talk about maybe we can get you on again even more but uh yeah you mentioned sars and of course we're recording this right during this coronavirus night nightmare or or is it a nightmare i mean i'm here in manila i'm just reading the news you're you're there right i mean you're in well, not in Wuhan, but you're in mainland, mainland China right now. I don't know. Maybe we just hit this right off the bat, like your experience so far with SARS, being through SARS, and now I guess the word is coronavirus or whatever. I don't know what we call it. Right. Yeah. My, um, I mean, it's not funny, but my kind of half-joking way of thinking about this is um, I was right in the middle of SARS in Hong Kong when it started. I was, And then I traveled through mainland China when kind of the news wasn't very it was it, they weren't being very transparent. Mm-hmm. So I was right in the middle of SARS in Beijing as well. Um, and then I traveled through Southeast Asia where, when they were getting it. And then I went back to Toronto where I'm from when they got it. Whoa. So, <laughs> so um, I was right in the middle of that. And then this year, my wife is, uh, my wife, Michelle, who I think you know, is yep. from Hubei province. And we go back to Hubei every year for yep. Chinese New Year. Um, and we got stuck this year and now we are stuck here. So we are right in the middle of this one as well. Um, it's obviously scary, but they're being very transparent or at least much more transparent this time. And you can talk about it more. So you kind of, I, I do feel it's very difficult this time. Um, there's a lot of numbers going around. People are taking it very, very seriously versus last time when, you know, honestly, nobody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, if anything, I mean, this time, this time we're like, you just go out onto the street and there's just absolutely nobody outside. And I think you even, um, you even said in your, in Shenyang where your, where your wife and kids are, it's the same. Yeah. Even though, like, to be honest, there's not a lot of cases there, right? There's as many cases in Shenyang as there is in, let's say, like Los Angeles. Almost. Yeah. But the entire city is shut down. So if anything, this time, I mean, they're taking it very, very seriously. Yeah, it seems for sure. Um, I guess what uh, some of the news highlights I've heard is, of course, the Chinese economy is bigger than when SARS was in 2003. I mean, and you were there, you were, you were here when it was happening. So, you know, now it's a much bigger deal, much bigger, more money's on the table. I mean, uh, Chinese New Year's over, but it's still going kind of right here. I mean, I guess it's, this is Chinese New Year still, like everybody's home longer. Well, so work, work was supposed to start yesterday and it kind of has, except obviously the whole province of Hubei is shut down and the rest of 
the rest of the country is kind of three quarters shut down. So I guess the question is what happens in a couple of weeks from now, but you're right. It's like you take the, you take an economy and you cut a month, you know, a month of GDP out of it. <laughs> I don't know how to, how, how do you make that work? I know. Plus there's already Chinese New Year's already like a few, two, three weeks anyway. And then you add on let's, but yeah, I guess let's just move forward. I mean, we, I think people can read the news and, uh, but yeah, I guess everybody's just locked down. Like my wife is saying, she's just bored with the kids stuck. They're all like, the mo- they're all just bouncing around in this like two bedroom apartment with like aunts and uncles and, and grandmas and grandpas and kids and stuff. Like it's, it just seems like everybody's just locked down, bored at home. That's kind of what I've heard. So. Yeah. Um, so I guess we just hope for the best and um, you know, there's a lot of people working very hard on this and you just kind of hope that, uh, sooner rather than later, things improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's go into the main part of the interview. So, yeah, you've spent quite a bit of time in China, and you you um you did the Chinese cold calling, which is something I just learned from today about you, <laughs> which is cool. And um, so how did where did you know we're going to talk about your journey into fba and the brand and building you know private labeling and packaging today and where was the conversation i think i kind of remember because we've been we, you know we've been in touch but maybe just where where did this discussion or how did it get get into this so the idea to start it so into fba um i guess there's a couple different avenues that it happened i mean at global sources so i'd be talking to a lot of suppliers and i'd also be talking to a lot of you know a lot of buyers and we'd also see buyer trends at the trade shows and buyer trends online. So it was pretty evident, you know, let's say 2015, 2016, that there was a, there was a trend to, towards B2C. And also that, you know, there was more and more buyers who um, weren't the traditional, you know, B2B buyers. They were new online buyers. So I could kind of see that happening. Um, like you said, you knew, uh, you know, Peter, you know, Peter was kind of the, the, the leading edge of that for, you know, for global sources at that time. So he started the global sources summit, which is, um, you know, it's been going on, I don't know, six or seven times now um, at the trade shows, which is more like a three day kind of, you know, uh, training event for, for online sellers, mostly Amazon sellers. So we were getting that kind of exposure. My wife is also, um, she has quite a bit of contract manufacturing experience. So she was doing, um, like if you go in the U.S., there's uh, car dealerships and those kind, of, uh, those kind of companies. When you go in there, you see a lot of branded merchandise. Like you see branded uh, clocks and, you know, premiums, relatively um, expensive premiums in those dealerships. She was manufacturing some of those. So it's custom one-off manufacturing in the, you know, making, let's say, 20 or 30,000 units at a time. Okay. So she had she had a warehouse at that time for that business, and she also had that kind of you know experience. Um, at the same time, my brother-in-law over in Canada has quite a bit of marketing experience, and obviously also has English as a first language and, and whatnot. And the two of them kind of put together um, put together the idea to start the business, and I obviously um, encouraged both of them. So basically, what happened is they've been running the business for a couple of years. And they've been um, growing it. And since I left Global Sources, my job leading the company now is to scale that business, um, you know, using 
corporate experience that I have, you know, with org charts and people and hiring and growing. Um, at Global Sources, at one time in CN, I had something like a thousand people under me. So, I mean, we're nowhere near that scale, but you never know. Okay. Yeah, of course, man. You've got to have big, big goals, big dreams. It's exciting, man. So, so I think some of the advantages, you know, of being, being where you are, obviously, you know, you learn Chinese, you have Chinese wife and you uh, have these insights with, within the industry. So how, how was the product selection? Was it, was it your wife's industry experience or was it market research? Um, well, actually it was, it was luck. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, okay. Or I guess, I, I guess you can call it, um, experience. Uh, we have, my daughter now is eight years old. And so I guess back then she was, uh, about four years old or something. So we were quite frequently, um, buying toys and, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, stuff for her. And we, you know, in China, so on Taobao or on some of those platforms, and we could see that there was like a value perception gap there. Like we could see that you could, the price of some of this stuff was reasonably low um, compared to the kind of value that people see in it. So we, there was a couple ideas there that we had that we got from some of the things my daughter was doing. Um, and that's the direction that they started. So they ended up in um, toys and games and that mostly at least toys and games. And then they now built a brand around that. And so that's the direction of the company. Okay. Excellent. I mean, I guess it's luck, but it's also like taking action and, uh, you know, being in the right, in the right position to, to, to do it. So it's, um, it's really great to, to have this story. Um, I remember we've, you know, you've joined some of our, our member calls at Global From Asia. I always appreciate your participation with what we do here. And I remember some of your insights always was there still, I mean, I mean, there's still opportunity, right? For private labeling even is how are you maybe talk about the product? Are these products from factories existing? Is there molds? Is there, is there product development? Um, maybe if you want to share about the, the process of, you know, getting the sourcing, was it, was it finding what they already had and, 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 and private labeling it? Sure. So um, at the beginning it was, it was buying stuff that was, you know, let's say 90% existing in the market and then doing packaging around that. Um, when I say luck, uh, I, I mean, one thing that was lucky is that in the end we discovered that this category plays to plays to their strengths. So like I mentioned, I mentioned my wife had a warehouse. Um, so they were able to do final assembly on some of these products. So they could buy materials from a factory. They could buy packaging from another factory and then they could put it together themselves. So you have a cost advantage over other people. You can also do things faster. You can also do final QC and make sure that everything's fine. So they had, that wasn't the original, original plan. But that's the way things worked out. And it was really lucky because it is actually quite a big um, competitive advantage. So now what we do is we've taken that a step further. Um, we have designers. Um, you know, we have designers that work for us full time. Um, we do all the package design. We do a lot of the product design. We have some molds, although not. I mean, we've got a couple, 
kind of plastic injection molds, but nothing really, really huge. Um, but we, it's mostly design work that we do, uh, that we do ourselves and then all the packaging and, and branding and, and all that stuff. But we do have some products where we get, um, we get raw materials from let's say four or five or components from four or five different places and we'll assemble them ourselves. Okay. Making me think, I'm sure, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Bellamy, he's, he's a pretty nice guy and, um, they had they, I think I learned from him or at least was the black box I think you're what you're saying is kind of is that black box where you're taking in multiple suppliers products to your facility and then pack repackaging and, and cons- consolidating I mean is that what it would be I mean or is it mean, that- it's pretty similar it's it, it, I mean the end result is the same yes um, no supplier sees the entire generally no supplier sees the entire situation no supplier controls all the components um, we don't really do it to keep the product secret necessarily. Um, we do it to do QC um, and also just to keep, uh, it's, you just keep control of everything. The costs are lower and also you, you know, it's easier for you to, to get things out the door in a specific schedule. It's, it's just easier to do everything um, for us if we do it that way. Got it. And so you still think this is an opportunity to, to find like maybe existing product? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's listeners, quite a few of our listeners still haven't been to China or Asia too often. They're overseas in the West, the US, you know, Europe, other places. I mean, is this, I mean, maybe there's service providers. I don't know. Maybe you offer this as a start offering this as a service. Some people do, but is this, how hard is this to do if you're not there? Like, I mean, or is well, it? I mean, if you say if you say our model, it's impossible. <laughs> but um, and that's why I can you know talk pretty freely about it. To be honest, it's impossible. Um, we try to basically our goal is to bridge the gap between um, you know the Western sellers that are overseas. They can they can do marketing pretty well, um, and some of them probably do it better than us. Um, but they can't they can't do as well as the Chinese suppliers on sourcing. They can't do as well as the Chinese suppliers, maybe on pricing, etc. We've got, um, you know, we can, we can find that middle zone because we have the China team. Um, we have the warehouse in China. We have, you know, the team overseas in Canada. So we try to kind of bridge that gap. We try to be the best of both of those worlds. That mm-hmm. is probably not a model that would work for, most people who don't have, you know, the, the situation that, that we have. So what I say to people about, you know, if you ask about overall FBA, is there opportunity? There is, but in my opinion, you have to come into it with a skill set or you have to come into it with an angle. What's your mm-hmm. angle? Um, if your angle is that you're really good at content development and, you, you know, you're an online marketer and you can push traffic, you know, like, like Zach Franklin, who, you know, yep. if you come into it with that side, you know, you know, every single outside traffic source, um, you know how to drive cheap traffic. You, you know, you're a computer programmer who knows URL structure and, and you can figure out ranking on many chat and whatnot. That's an angle. Um, if you come at it from an angle, like, like we do, or, you know, our expertise is probably mostly on the China side, but we have enough marketing. That's an angle as well. If you come at it with, you know, no angle, like you're just taking one of these, you know, guru courses 
and you just graduated, you know, from English major in university yesterday, unless you're really, really good, it's very difficult. Yeah, I would say the same. I mean, unfortunately, the course gurus won't say that, but I think you and I are, you know, practitioners and, uh, it, you know, making things happen. And I think this is what Amazon wants. I've, I always think of, uh, I think of an interview I did with Jerry Gone a while ago. Um, and he, he would always talk about, you have two choices as a seller or I guess any business owner is to be really good at product or be really good at marketing. Of course you need both, but I always, I, I often talk to people about this. I always, I think it's probably more important to be a good product over a good mar- marketer. Uh, you can do both, but I mean, you should do both, of course, but usually you have to have a st- stronger on one side or the other. So you're kind of, it seems like you're talking about the stronger product side, right? Yeah, we came at it definitely stronger from the product side and we're learning the marketing kind of as we go along. Obviously, I mean, we have a certain amount, but we're not, um, you know, if you look at some of these like supplement companies or, or whatnot, they're, you know, light years ahead of, of, of where we are. True. Well, yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest categories, or at least it'd be most skilled marketer, probably to get into supplements. Do you want to share some of the some of the struggles and some of the, the wins? Maybe we can start with, I don't know if you want a pessimist or an optimist, start with the harder stuff first, or the some of the, the lessons learned, or things you so let me let me start with the wins, the wins. Um, okay the win. i'll change the order here <laughs> i mean the, the main the main win is that um every year since they've started or since and, and also since i've kind of joined um we the revenue's been going up and the profit's been going up so the you know the overall trajectory of the business has been positive since they started um you know revenue profit a number of products number of marketplaces, number of employees, everything is growing uh, quite nicely. So from an overall perspective, you know, the wins have been, you know, that, that win is kind of what you're looking for. Definitely. Um, I think that what most people probably learn from though is the, uh, is the down. So the, the tough part. So let me, <laughs> let me jump into a, a couple, I guess, uh, stories slash, slash lessons. Sure. This is the good stuff. <laughs> I mean, the first thing that happened to them way back when they started, I think it was 2016. So they, they were just sending in their first shipment. They sent it in. Um, it was supposed to be sent by air and it took 30 days to get there. Um, so we think what happened was that the, the freight forwarder actually sent it by fast sea and not by air. So normally you'd say, okay, well, no big deal. Wait an extra 20 days. But the problem was, that was exactly when they cut off the sales for Q4. So because their product didn't get in there fast enough, they were cut off three months. So the first three months, uh, they basically couldn't sell. (laughs) And I guess the story is a little bit complicated, but they got, it was even worse because they got a first small shipment in. So that that first shipment that they actually, um, that they sent, they were allowed to sell, but they weren't allowed to send any more in, I think is what it was. And that first shipment sold like firecrackers, just like right off the bat, just gone. So what happened was they, they sent in, you know, I don't know what it was, but maybe they got like $20,000 in sales and in like a week or 10 days, but they couldn't replenish. And everyone had seen that they'd gotten the sales. 
So you can imagine what happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and they, they had to wait two and a half months before they could, before they could send in um, any replacement. So before, so just sitting there waiting, kind of, you know, horrified by the situation, waiting for the competitors to flood into that market. So that was, I, I haven't heard very many people with a worse starting story than that. That is a rough <laughs> one. But I mean, I guess that's what starting, I mean, of course, that's a hard one, but most people starting have a, have a bad experience or a bad story. I think that's the point of starting. That's part of the process, right? I mean, I guess it, it's part of the learning process and, uh, and, uh, maybe the fraternity, um, hazing <laughs> from college days or, or just to make sure you're serious, uh, to do this. Um, for yeah. sure. And, and, you know, it ended up working out fine. The product actually still survived. They were the market leader for a year and a half or two years after that. So it ended up working out fine, but you can imagine the anxiety of those kind of two months. Mm-hmm. I could definitely, definitely. I mean, so I've had some scary stories too, for sure. So, yeah, that's one. Um, there's been, you know, they, we've expanded into Europe. That's been successful, but also very, you know, there's been a bunch of problems there. Got pulled down for, got the entire account suspended for a customs inspection. Nothing was wrong. They did nothing wrong, but just pulled down for a week. So in Europe, if you get pulled down in one tiny little country, they pull your entire, all your accounts in the EU down. Jeez. So they've been suspended there, which was, I think, eight or nine days for, Really, no good reason. Um, VAT, we've been fined six thousand euros for problems that we couldn't really, couldn't really. Uh, it's kind of Amazon problems. So there's there's all sorts of you know little stuff that um, that happens. We've had to dis- dispose of you know I think somewhere around twenty thousand US dollars worth of product for various reasons. Yeah, so lots of little lots of little stuff. But yeah, uh, like I said, stressful. the overall trajectory. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what separates the men from the boys or the girls from the women. Uh, those scary times where you, yeah, you're writing off inventory, you're delayed on imports, you're out of stock, you're maybe some recalls, some yeah, you know, listings, suspensions. I mean, I, this is just the scary stuff you hear. But hmm, well, the last time I saw you, I think, was during the cross border summit. That yeah. time I was, we were, we were kind of freaking out because we had a very seasonal product that uh, we had around $250,000 US in inventory and it wasn't moving like we had predicted. Yeah, this, this is scary. I think I remember you maybe chatting to me or over here. Yeah, you chatted a couple of us about that. But I think, like you said, the overall trajectory, I mean, here, I'm, I think, you know, I'm part of Alpha Rock here and there's always some nightmare because we have quite a few different brands and, and things. So there's always some some emergency. I think that's just part of e-commerce or retail maybe, right? Retail, you're taking the risk from the factory, you know, all the way to the consumer. So there's all that supply chain risk, right? But of course, you have the higher reward of the margins to direct, you know, so, but you of course got to deal with all these little risks and nightmares along the way from that factory to that end consumer. 
And uh, you just got to hopefully, yeah, like you said, just got to make sure that you're earning more than you are, uh, you're losing. And uh, yeah, it's business, right? And, and as long as the overall net net is up you're you're doing better. But of course, I think every seller goes through those scary times for sure. I don't think anybody would say they haven't. And I hope you're still with me. <laughs> you there? Cameron? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just hoping to get the connection. Um, so let's, let's talk about it. We're talking about from factory. So you, you know, you have your own kind of like little, I call it black box or your little consolidation packaging area. Maybe you can share, do you have some, do you guys go and have your relationships with your factories, drinking by Joe and gifts and uh, Guan Chi and terms? Is there, is there anything, you know, are you doing a 30, 70, 50, 50? Are you, you know, are you doing, or maybe you're actually doing RVAT. Are you doing X works with RMB and then you're doing exporting? And I don't know if you want to talk about some of the. Actually. Kind of... Okay. So <laughs> I guess, you know, I keep it real on this show, but we had a little technical difficulty, but we're reconnecting now, Cameron. And uh, let's just start from that last, that last question. Um, you know, I think just some insights on the relationships with the factories. I know, you know, I know you have the advantage of your own, your own like consolidation packaging kind of center, but also is there any other advantages or, or, or deals you have with these suppliers? Um, yeah, I mean, we have a, we have the advantage of having the packing facility warehouse, but we also have the advantage of having a local Chinese team, um, which means that all our sourcing is done locally um, all our pricing is usually done in X works, uh, yeah. in and B as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we also, we do things a little bit differently than kind of what's generally taught because of the way that we're, the way that we're set up. So we have the ability, I mean, we have hands on all our materials before we send them out of our warehouse. So we have the ability to basically QC every single piece that comes into, um, you know, that comes to us. So yeah. generally we, you know, what that leads to is we don't do things like uh, factory and we don't do, you know, pre-shipment inspections like everyone, like everyone kind of recommends. The reason is because we inspect everything by hand uh, when we're assembling it True. and anything that's bad, we, uh, we just directly send back. Yeah. So, I mean, that allows us to have relatively simple contracts with our, um, with our manufacturers. We don't generally do kind of the 50 page, um, purchase orders with, you know, a hundred different, um, you know, uh, conditions and all that kind of stuff. We work on relationships basically, and, um, we keep a very close eye on the orders. So we don't just wait until the order is ready to ship to ask kind of how it's going. We check very frequently on the progress. Um, and then we inspect everything and whatever's no good, we just send it straight back. So it's a little bit of a different system than what most people um, are used to, but it's worked quite well for us. We didn't quite start that way. We started with, you know, what, what generally is recommended, which is very rigorous contracts and whatnot. But this has worked uh, quite well for us, for the system that we have set up. It allows us to kind of, you know, rely on the relationship with the manufacturer well. Um, and, you know, we try to, we try to find, um, you know, factories that have bosses that have the same kind of mindset as us. It's, you know, we're partners, we'll help you, you'll help us. And, you know, we give a little, we, we take a little. 
Um, we're pretty, we're very actually rigorous on, on quality. We don't accept anything that's kind of, that's even, you know, borderline. And they know that, but at the same time, we will give a little on timing sometimes, like, especially now with what's happening in China, we're obviously mm -hmm. understanding of that situation. Um, we sometimes will give a little on price if uh, we understand the reasons behind um, some of the, you know, some of the price increases and stuff. If we know, if a supplier tells us before Chinese New Year that they want us to pay a little bit more than we normally would in advance, sometimes we do that. But then we'll also, when we need the orders quickly in July and August for Q4, we'll push them super hard. Or if we need to extend terms even beyond what we've agreed with them, um, when we need that, we'll push them very hard. Got it. Yeah, this is great insights. Um, so I'll just kind of like reiterate or maybe say it in my, maybe like a flow. So X works. I think most listeners are familiar. Most people, so that's just the op the most two common are X works or FOB. Of course, there's other Inco terms it's called, but basically X works. It's not as common as FOB. Most most people like, you know, in the US or overseas are getting FOB, Ningbo, FOB, maybe Guangzhou, FOB, Shenzhen quotation, right, from the from the supplier. And that means that it's, sent directly to the port of, uh, of that port with the export duty um, taken care of or an exit as a rebate, which I can probably, I don't know if you're ready to answer that, but I'll, I'll simplify, you know, I'll just kind of reiterate. So then you're doing XWorks, which means you pay in local RMB currency, local bank transfer, um, and then it's shipped by probably truck to your facility. And then you don't have any Maybe you go to the factory. I'm wondering if you're doing on-site. You're saying you're following the production. Are you having? But you have anybody there go there, or are you just you're following just by like having somebody in your team chatting to them while production is happening, or getting photos, or do you actually have people going to the production on your team? It's or mostly your... uh, it's mostly WeChat. I mean, I've been to a lot of these factories, um, and my team's been to a lot of these factories, but we don't check on an order by order. Uh, Order, order by order basis. It's mostly WeChat. Like we have groups with uh, all of our suppliers and, yep. um, you know, we chat back and forth. And if there's any doubt on some of the stuff they're saying, we'll ask for pictures or videos Got or it. that kind of stuff. Cool. And then, so just let me finish, I guess, let me just go through this flow. So then they finish production. You don't have anybody, like you said, a lot of people actually, I usually do recommend, I just spoke here in Manila actually for a meetup and I said, you know, always pay for the pre shipping inspection. But it, it definitely, if you don't have your kind of setup, of course, they're kind of going crazy if they don't even do any pre-shipping inspection. But that's normally where we send like a third-party QC company or maybe somebody in your team to go to the factory. And usually it's not 100% check. They're doing like a small percentage. I actually don't know what's the percentage, 5 10% spot check usually, right? I mean, they usually don't do 100% inspection. And then they're just making sure that that quality acceptance rate uh some you know statistics that they're willing to accept um is passed or failed and then if if it's failed they have to kind of like maybe recheck all the products so it's usually how it goes but yeah your your situation is you don't have anybody you have to go there you've maybe been there for relationship building or or early stage uh, factory development but once you're reordering or ordering you just get it received because it's received in china you can just take it uh and check it and actually, we had that with the Sisitano case study where we had the EWU market pick up and it was bad quality. We didn't like it. We sent it back. We got our money back. You know, I think if, if anybody's able to, I think China is willing to take back returns 
before it leaves China, right? So I think for a lot of the probably listeners and foreigners, you know, they don't notice the problem until it's in Amazon or at least in the U.S. warehouse, and then then that by that time you're kind of dead because the cost to ship it back is more than usually the uh, cost of the product. So I'm just trying to reiterate what you had said in in a more of a different angle, but. So most listeners are doing that, but I still think you got to do a, if you got to do the pre-inspection, you know, QC inspection if you're not using what you have because there's some buyers you probably know that just just wing it and hope that it's good quality and wait until it's an Amazon, which is which is freaking Russian roulette. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's 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 uh, for sure. Most buyers can't or can't do the can't do it the way we do it. Um, by no means am I suggesting those kind of buyers don't do uh, don't do pre-shipment inspections yeah, I know necessarily. That's but yeah, of course they have um, to do that. But, but I mean, you're right. The, the domestic shipping in China is cheap, number one. And as long as it doesn't leave the borders, um, you can you can uh, ship it back pretty easily. Once yeah. once stuff leaves China, re-importing it is a total yeah. nightmare. Yeah. So then usually that's where you get in trouble with the supplier. You're like, hey, 20% of this was bad. I'm getting re- – of course. But it's not even about the money at that point when you're getting negative feedback on your Amazon listing or returns you know, or, or listing problems. That's the nightmare. That's not even worth – that's not even about the money of the product. That's like your business livelihood at that time. But so, yeah, I mean, you have the advantage because – and you're doing 100% because you're also checking everything as you package it and, and maybe assemble it or combine it combine it with other products or other factories so so that's that's really insightful and you know i know other foreigners in china that do that and we we've been able to do that and there are service providers i think that do exist uh, people could use you know of course did you know pay for that service but there are there are options i think for people not in china but of course being there um like in your setup is, is probably the ultimate um I, I guess the one other the one other point that I would make that I hear actually I hear a lot of people commenting on this that I kind of disagree with most people's opinion. You, you when you hear um, you know you go on Facebook or you hear podcasts and stuff you hear a lot of people talking about cultural you know how you um, negotiate with Chinese people how the how the culture works how um, you know that you have to know all sorts of you know, cultural aspects, what to do, what not to do in China. I've been here a long time. My feeling is, is generally that, um, you know, in general, uh, people are people. And as in any negotiation with a Chinese supplier, it's really quite easy. It's uh, information is your friend. So if you go into a negotiation having no idea what the cost of a product is, Regardless of where it ha- where you do that negotiation, you're probably going to get fleeced. Mm-hmm. But if you go in with five different quotations from five different suppliers, you have an idea of the raw material cost. You have an idea of the cost of the box. You have an idea of the cost of labor. If you go in with that kind of um, information, you can basically back out the supplier's profit and you can basically you know, parrot that back to them, tell them that you're not some schlub that doesn't know what they're talking about and, you know, get to a fair price for both of you. That's Mm -hmm. the way we do it. That's the way I kind of approach these things. And I think that in a lot of cases, people really overthink it. Get information. Um, You don't really have to spend a ton of time on cultural stuff. Um, Chinese people in general are highly pragmatic, especially business people. They want your money. They want to do business with you. 
They don't really care if you, you know, as long as you don't insult China, um, you know, they don't really care what you do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe you don't agree with. I usually tell people bring a small little home gift, like you know, like St. Louis. Somebody came once. I said bring some like hot sauce. You know, some small little fun stuff from your hometown is is kind of like my little tip. I usually add in my talks, but yeah, I, well, I agree it. with that. But, but wouldn't you do that? And regardless of where you went, yeah, it's kind of like true. It's a nice, it's a nice thing to do anywhere, right? Yeah, I guess that's true anywhere. <laughs> true, true. Um, but yeah, it's awesome, camera. Thanks. I mean, this is great. This has been really gold. Um, I guess my last one of my last parts in the supply chain is VAT. You know, Fapiao crap or the X works to SVB, and I, I. That's always a really complex topic, and and but I guess you're doing that internally, or you have a partner company or a local company that can help with the whole export process because you're doing EXW and RMB, and then do you get the tax benefit or the rebate? Benefit. No, we haven't. We haven't quite figured out the rebate yet because we. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of business yeah, structures exactly. that you have, you have to have in place in order to get it done. And for us, the value is not. Like, it's it's sitting there as one of the item, the to do list items yeah. for some year, when we yeah. uh, when we figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I guess just to, we. It's so such a complicated topic. I think we've actually had a little bit on some older podcasts, but basically, so, you're actually so. You're actually paying a little bit more with XWorks than our FOB, which is also counterintuitive. But the price, right, is higher RMB because it has the FOP with FAPL, right? So you're, if you actually probably ask them for FOB, they probably give you a lower price, right? Because that's how I've noticed it with our our products. Is but then you like you said, it's not just about the the co- unit cost; it's about the control. But I think usually the price is higher if it's not FOB because they get that tax rebate. All right, try three here. These we we work hard here at Gold Media with uh, these cross-border <laughs> interviews and internet. So this was, uh, but anyway, let's continue. We're getting towards the end, and this has been a great, great, uh, great show. Thanks so much, Cameron, for sharing. So we were just kind of talking about the the whole Fapiao EXW FOB pricing, and and so it seems like you haven't really applied for that, but you're you're saying it's still worth it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a couple percent net um, of your export value, like three or four percent or something like that, um, generally. So it's worth, I mean, if you, it's worth going for if you, if you have the structure that can handle it. Um, we don't quite, we aren't quite there yet, but hopefully we will uh, do it, you know, this year or next year, maybe. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's pretty advanced anyways for most listeners. So I, I guess let's let's go to that line. one of my final questions. Is that poor listener, like I don't want to use names, but I've talked to some of them. You met some of them. Like, you know, they're, they're back home in, in, their, in America, Europe, um, trying their best to build their Amazon business and, and control their supply chain. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, this is probably overwhelming to them. And what, what would you say to somebody, you know, listening today uh, to try to improve their supply chain? Um, well, I mean, it's not easy for sure with the time change and whatnot, but, uh, I think, you know, everyone should be talking to their suppliers on WeChat. Um, and I would say just don't expect things to go perfectly all the time. So you have to be on it. Um, you really, I mean, if you're, if there's an employee doing it for you, you got to make sure that they're on it. But the key is just to really follow up very, very frequently. And the key is, despite what I said, our situation is good pre-shipment inspections. 
um, with good standards for the quality inspection company to uh, to understand kind of what you're you know what you want. Never let bad product get out of China if at all possible, because it's a total nightmare if it does. Um, and just you know assume that it's going to take a significant amount of your time to get it right. Yeah, I think that's great, amazing advice. Um, you know, e-commerce. I always I tell people it's it's the merge of internet and e, you know electronic and uh, traditional co- commerce, and especially with this whole fact, you're really kind of factory to consumer F to C. You got to deal with all that headache. You know, that used to be four, five, three, four, five companies back in the traditional. So now by going direct, you as the seller or the you know the almost factory directly to consumer have to deal with all those headaches so it's just part of the game if you want to make that extra margin and and uh and grow in today's kind of new evolving e-commerce world i think you're going to have to invest in stepping up your game and improving if you just like anything in life or business if you're not improving and 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 and, uh increasing your you know um business uh, reach you know you're you're probably dying or at least stagnating so Thanks so much again, Camera. Is there ways people could uh, connect with you? Of course, you're act- you're really active in our community and, and uh, others. Um, I don't know if you have websites, and you might not have anything really to sell or promote. But uh, what's what's some ways uh, people could find you? Or- yeah, I don't have anything to um, to promote. But um, on WeChat, I think I'm Cam Walker on Facebook. It's I think you can find me under Cameron Walker. Should be pr- should be pretty easy. So th- those are probably the best two ways. Okay, cool. Thanks, Cameron. Really appreciate you sharing today. It was, it was, although it was a little struggle for me and you recording it, I'm sure this will be one of our more popular shows. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. We got through it. Yeah, <laughs> we made it happen. You know, some people thought I was crazy taking Cross Border Summit out of China, but somehow maybe we made a make maybe made a good move. I've been talking to some great people, getting them to come out to Cross Border Summit fifth annual. November 19th and 20th, 2020. We've been doing five of these, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and this is 2020. First time out of mainland China, down in Southeast Asia in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'll be back there with my wife and kids. I'll try to bring them to the event. I think they're old enough, maybe they can speak. If you enjoy what you are listening to and you want to meet amazing guests on the show, listeners, other experts in the community, it's an action-packed two-day plus some pre-event action if you want and some post-event action it's getting bigger and better and we're working on this even harder and even more in advance crossbordersummit.com slash thailand get on the waiting list thanks i really appreciate it it's a crazy time right now and we didn't talk too much about this coronavirus i know it's on everybody's mind. Uh, let's just hope it cools off a little bit. Um, you know, I just literally took my mask off when I got back to my apartment here in Manila, Philippines. and But I do feel like it's calming down a little bit. And, and maybe it's just I'm getting used to it. But also I was on BBC Radio in the UK. Uh, they like my vlog. I, if it, those of you who want to check out my videos on mikesblog.com slash vlog or find me on social media but um a reporter there really liked my story of how i feel guilty as a dad in manila while my wife and kids are stuck in their apartment in uh north china so um had a little three minute clip in the bbc live radio earlier last week when the show goes online february 2020 but like you know i think most sellers i hear from and Cameron too i think you know 
Cameron's been through SARS. I can't say I've been in China that long, but um, I think these things just this will pass by. It's weeds out the weak, right? The strong will survive. Hopefully, you have enough inventory. That's something. So we're gonna do a webinar, and we we're gonna do um, with David Nicolucci, and uh, we're just afraid to do too much about sales promotions when most people maybe are increasing price or defending against uh, running out of stock. You know, um, so they're scared to do promotions right now. It's a crazy world, and uh, I hope everybody stays safe. Seems like the tariffs, the trade war is kind of going by. They're, they're, maybe this coronavirus helped make the deal better, but taxes seem and tariffs seem to be lowered on both sides lately. I don't have quotes, but I've been seeing screenshots in various social media, um, and I'm sure this will develop. I'm sorry, I'm just so exhausted, seriously. Ugh. But um, we're just grinding here, and... I think that's that's how that's what separates the winners from the losers. You know, you got to get through these tough times. And man, I had a good call with a friend, Marcus, and investor, and he was saying it's just been brutal the last couple of years. Trade wars, Hong Kong protests, and now coronavirus is like, what is next? I even had a little mini volcano in, in issue here in Manila. I mean, it's just just making a stronger business. But I, when I was talking to BBC, I'm like, yeah, so who would the reporter, well, it wasn't on the interview, but in the prepping, she's like, are you thinking about going back to America? I'm like, man, I didn't think so. But with all this crap now, it's like one after another challenge, challenge. But just like Cameron said in the interview, you know, you, you know, you have to uh, kind of go through a school of hard knocks, you know, get some bad quality, get some delays, shipments, get some stuck, stuck in customs. I mean... I, there's that saying I don't know maybe my dad always reminded me if it was easy everybody would do it you know if you want to do something easy there's a there's definitely easy routes but we are if you're listening here and taking action I hope you're taking action not just enjoying the show but uh, getting in the battlefield getting in the arena e-commerce gladiator I actually just got a good friend that wrote me a great email they enjoyed uh, enjoy the book e-commerce gladiator just a little plug for my fourth uh, book but I am going to wrap it up. I am burned out. I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. Seriously, I didn't want to do it in China, and I've been trying to find a dentist in Manila. They rescheduled because of the coronavirus. It's just everywhere, man. Like, the battle does not end just to get my teeth cleaned, you know? I have a... I think I have a pretty bad cavity because it hurts when I eat, so hopefully they don't drill too deep. But no matter what, we're going to live another day, right? Every day above ground is a good one. Every day you should be making at least a little bit of progress. Try to build that relationship with your supplier. Try to get a little bit of marketing strategies, learning something new, meeting a new contact, making a new relationship, appreciating an old relationship. I tried it once a day, but I'm burned out and I'm going to... Oh, man, the headset's falling off. Okay, it's something to tell me I got to stop. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cameron, for sharing. We got some amazing, amazing guests on this show. And there's so many more lined up. I mean, we got them recorded already and people emailing us all the time to come on the show. And uh, there's just so much to talk about. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, see you next week, Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Hong Kong time. Bye-bye. 
To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.